Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by Rav Chaim Aryeh Zev Ginsberg, prominent Rav and the author of a brand new Art Scroll book, Rays of Hope. Thank you Rabbi Ginsberg for being here. Pleasure, honor. It's an honor to finally have you here. And as we were schmoozing before this conversation, I'm, I was, I'm actually surprised that with all your copious writings over the years, that you never put out a book yet. And here's your, your inaugural Art School volume. So it's an honor that the book is coming out, a book full of great chizik and stories and some of your personal story, which we'll get into. What, what prompted you at this juncture to finally say, you know what, it's time to put out a book? So I'll tell you, it was um, really a, never had a machshava thought to, to do a book like this. Um, the uh, I guess the, the history of it is um, it, years ago, many years ago, I once submitted an article in, I think the first time I actually wrote something uh, to submit it, and I submitted it into Jewish Observer. And it was a thing about the Scud Wars and Saddam Hussein. I had some thoughts. I sent it to him, and Mr. Wolpen, who I knew very, very well, um, sent it back to me. And with a comment, he sent it back in the mail, and it, with a note on it, I'm not marking it up, making comments, because it's really not for print. It's not something that we would, we're going to run. It, it's, it's a lot of ideas that are uh, not presented well and not for publication. So that kind of, I thought, put an end to my career. Mm-hmm. And then something happened. It was maybe a year or two later. And I was so troubled by it. And I just sat down, came home. It was a class, and I came home, sat down, and I took up and I started writing. And that was uh, really the first thing that I had published in an article. And what, what moved me, or um, was it, that time was a terrible time. It was an intifada going on in Eretz Yisrael. And it was, uh, in, I remember in March before Purim, and there was uh, buses after buses, Rachmansam being blown up, and Yidin were dying left and right. It was, it was just beyond comprehension how tragic of a time it was. And I was at a chasana, and there were a lot of, sitting at a table of very, very prominent people, uh, community-minded people, whatever, and um, news came, and this is before... No, there was no news, there was no yeshiva world, there was no WhatsApp, there was nothing, it was many years ago. And someone just had heard that there was, unfortunately, another uh, bus blew up. And uh, many people were killed and injured. And so I saw like a reaction, it was a table, like terrible to hear. And then someone said, I heard 22 people, and the other person said, no, I think it was 25. And, and they brought out the main course, and I saw one individual there, I don't want to mention his name, who is such a community-minded person, and I have such an incredible respect for him. I saw him like he was about to eat, and the news came, and he took and he put, his, put it on his fork, and he just pushed his plate away. Like, How am I going to eat now? And then someone else was sitting at the table, and I didn't even just realize what he was saying. Like He says, oh, I think I think there's 25 people. Oh, this filet, it's great, this filet manon looks great. And I realized there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. I, I was so troubled by it. I went home, I sat down, took a bath, and I started writing an article. Uh-huh. And I wrote an article at the time. I remember, I still remember, it was Terrorism, uh, Sugar Cubes, and Filet Mignon. And the concept was that terrible things were happening, and it, we just don't connect the dots. We don't let it affect, go into Hanashamas. 
And the sugar cubes was something that Rav Shnei Kutler Zichon of Raka told me years earlier. I was flying back to Israel, and he was there, and I sat there next to him, and he was telling me, and I remember I asked him, tell me, tell me, tell me things about your father that, that not everyone knows, that only a son knows, not mm-hmm. things that everybody knows about Rabban. He told me some incredible things, but he ta- and he started talking about his mother, and he told me that all the years of the, during the war, his mother had a sweet tooth, and she always loved to have her tea with a sugar cube in her mouth. It was a, they used to do that in Lita. And she refused to put anything in her mouth during all those years of the war going on. Did it make a difference to anybody? Did it help anybody? It was just something she took out. And I was very moved by that story. So I wrote that story in the article, Terrorism, Flaming On, and uh, Sugar Cube of Flaming On. And I sent it off to Nissa Walpin, Tunnel of Raqqa. And I get a call from him a few days later. I got your... I got your article, and I said, oh, he's going to say it again, like, right. you know. And he said, um, I'm using it, and it's going to cover story this in this coming really? month. Oh, and wow. it was the cover story. <laughs> and Do you remember what year that was? Um, it was in the 80s, 86 maybe, 87, that's oh, when the fight wow. was going on. And uh, it wasn't that, I was, wow, it's a cover story, but the fact that afterwards so many people you know, told me afterwards that they were moved by it. They, they changed their unhuggers. And um, there's such an extent, by the way, that um, we're talking about how many years later, uh, almost 30 years later, and uh, I was just now in, um, I was just in Colorado, and uh, someone walked over to me and said to me, you know, there was just a terrible accident in Israel. There was a car accident, and it was a number of two people lost their lives. He says, I just want you to know that my sh- I'm not eating tonight. I'm not going to the Viennese table. I'm not having dessert. Um, I said, well, why are you telling me this? Because of what you wrote. There really? So many years later. You wrote 35 years ago. And wow. it meant something. So after I wrote that, you know, and then I wrote another one, and he called me to write another one, and he would call me up, can you speak about this topic? I think it's an important topic. And I started doing more. Mm-hmm. But it was never writing, oh, I'm going to publish this. It was always when something hit me, mm-hmm. emotional, something that I felt needed to be said, that I heard from the Gedolim, I heard from Arabeim, uh, that I just needed to share. And to, let, let's go back for a second. Yeah. Uh, before we get into your rabbinic career and writing, you mentioned your, you mentioned Rabbeim, people who influenced you. Where, where did you grow up? Who were the influences in your younger years? Um, well, my father, obviously, was the greatest influence. He, he was uh, a shul also, but besides that, he was uh, spent most of his life, over 60 years, as uh, as my Rebbe, the Rosh of Chavetz Chaim, of Henek Leibowitz, the Chonel of Raqqa, he was his right hand, running the Yeshiva, Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim. And that was Your my... father was administrator? My father was administrator, executive vice president was his mm-hmm. name, and he was involved in everything that the Yeshiva was doing, growing, the building of the Yeshiva over the years, helping the Yeshiva move from Brooklyn to Queens, to Forest Hills, and then from there, the Yeshiva spent many decades there until they moved to the new campus in, in Hugon Hills, where they are now. And uh, Rashiva had no children, so uh, no biological children. He had obviously every Talmudim. I felt like a child of his. My father therefore did whatever a child would do for him. Rashiva took him to doctors. He wasn't well, and uh, whatever needed to be done, his personal finances, anything that had to be done, you know, in Rashiva's life, in Rashiva's 
grew up with the yeshiva, my father was involved in it. Mm-hmm. If I was involved, make sure that the coal people and the rebbeim got paid, but it was always left that two people never got paid. It was my father and Rapana. Uh-huh. That was that was the, you know that was the connection, the relationship. So I grew up in that home. Uh, Shiva babysat me, you know, in times that uh, you know my parents and father would go away for the traveling for the yeshiva. Uh, Shiva, I stayed by Shiva's house. He would take me to carpool. He would take me to school. So that, that was, I guess, my greatest influence in my life and many rabbeim. And, and you learned to have time yourself. Time all the years, and I got smicha from there. And my son, my oldest son, just got smicha from there. Oh, really? Next generation. Wow. And my son-in-law, uh, Rabbi Yudi Yeager, is um, actually doing my father's job. He's now running the administration shiva. Wow. He's the right hand of Rabbi Harris, so who's now the who's the Talmud that took over the yeshiva. So uh, very much, that's, yeshiva is affiliated. It's in our blood. It's in my blood, mm-hmm. and that's been my whole life. Growing up, uh, as you're going through the yeshiva system, what what did you, what did you envision yourself doing? Um, well, the yeshiva is um, um, the yeshiva's entire life, following his father's footsteps, which is the following the Alto Slabot Gizdera, was that you. You train the Talmudim not just to learn and become Talmudim, but to go out and share with Klai Yisrael. And Yeshiva is known for that, the Chavetz Chaim, mm-hmm. for the size of Yeshiva. It, is, it has branches all over, all over the country and all over the world. Sure. Um, and that's, they trained. This year alone, another, I think, 25 fellows went out to different, you know, most of us and started most of those or took existing you know, jobs in existing most of those. But that was, you know, that was kind of in my blood and my DNA. But at the same time... Um, I saw the struggles the yeshiva had financially. I saw the struggles that many of the Talmudim had, both personally and professionally, going out there. And, and, and I felt that that's also a side of life that, that needs to be you know, developed. And I said, I want to do both, and I want mm-hmm. to try to develop a, a business sense as well. And uh, my Rebbe Zuchon Abraka said to me you know, many times in the early years, you can't do both. Mm-hmm. You can only do... You can't do both because you have to give it your all. To be successful, you have to give it your all. And you can't give it your all to two different you know, worlds. You can't do it. And um, I guess a little youth and a little bit, uh, let's, I'll show you I can do it. And, and, I, and I kind of tried to be in both worlds a little bit. And uh, I, I guess the, the greatest thing that Roshiv ever told me was, um, it came to me, used to, Roshiv used to come to me for Shabbos always once a year, twice a year. Uh, when I was a reverend in different communities, he would come to me. And, and one time, um, I was taking him home, Mati Shabbos, and uh, to Queens, and I was driving him home, and I got into the house, and I was about to open the door, and he took, he took my hand, and he held my hand, and, and he said, I guess you can. Really? Yeah. And that, wow. that was something that... That's quite a haskama. I never, I never forgot that. I hmm. never forgot that, that, you know, that... Now, clearly does not mean that I could have accomplished a lot, lot more if I put everything in one, you know, in one, one focus. Area. But, but um, what was know. your, let's say, on the on the business side? What was your business endeavor uh, when you I were went younger? into the real estate world, uh-huh. a little bit of investments, and and, and uh, with a few good people who allowed me to to um, to do spend my time doing what I needed to do uh, for Kali Israel, both in the shul and, and giving lectures and shiurim and traveling. Uh, to, to do that, I, I used to go very often to different communities to travel and speak, and uh, um, going the next week, I'm traveling to another city to speak on Shabbos. So, you know, I could never have done that if I didn't have a tremendous yata deshmaya and also a, a gr- support group of people who, who, who wanted me to do this. So, this, this is a very relevant topic that you're bringing up of 
of working and learning and fusing the two, Torah and your umness, and, and, and um, many of our viewers would, would love to hear that perspective. Um, like you said, you felt that it's not mutually exclusive, and as your Shiva gave you askama that somehow you pulled it off. Um, with the wealth of experience that you have juggling the two, what practical advice would you give to the young people watching and listening? who themselves, everyone wants to taste Taira and also be able to be mafarnas themselves, bederach kavid. Very often it is very hard to do the two. Uh, you know, well, what's your perspective on that for other people? Um, number one, you need incredible siyat Shmaya. And um, even though, you know, Marishiv originally, you know, was saying you can't do both, he wanted, you know, you gotta, you know, focus. But, he encouraged me a lot, and I speak. I, you always have to have someone that you meayets with and speak to. Um, one of the things that I um, thank Akash Baruch every day for, um, I was Zoha, maybe because of influence of a particular Rebbe when I was a young, maybe four, 13, 14, um, to develop a Kesha with the Gedolim. Uh, and I mean the Gedoli Adar. And I had access to, to, or I developed access to many of them. And um, where I would go in daily and, and, and had a Seder weekly with many of them. I, I learned every month of Shabbos Rebbe Yasha for 13 months. Really? Wow. I, I, what, did you, I, what did you learn with Rebbe Yasha? I present Shilas to him and uh-huh. I present Shilas to him. Um, I know you were very close to Rebbe Chaim as well. Chaim, I had gone to Chaim for decades, way before it became popular. Um, I've Every, every single Friday, Barav Shimer, every single Barav Chaim Pinchas Shimer was going to the Racha. And it just developed many. I used to go to Rav Shach all the time. I was Ocha at two, two Shabbos and two Friday nights to sit with Rav Shach, just Rav Shach and myself at, at, his, at his table in his home. Yeah, this Rebbe was Nefteris. So, you know, and it would be, have this opportunity of Shlomo Zalman and, and, and Rav Yaakov. And I was one of, there were several people who used to drive Rav Yaakov all the time. I was one of the people on the, on the, on the on the list that would uh, get called to drive him, and uh, it would, you know, and, and it was just an incredible. And I've David Feinstein all the time. It was a inc- tremendous limud and lesson, and keeps you in focus, keeps you in check, and you can ask what you have in Ashkaf and halakas, and it it, it it's, keeps you in a certain perspective because you can get caught up in anything that you do, mm-hmm. and. Um, Try to juggle both. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it something has to give. But if you have surround yourself with a group of people who appreciate what you're doing and value it, and 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 I am when partner of Ashalom who passed away, he would always tell me that the more you do, the better. I think it's good for 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 our shutfist. The well, more, okay. and he was a uh, you know and consolek. You don't have to come to this meeting. You don't have to come. You do what you have to do. Go give a share. Do right, and and it was that kind of. Uh, ability is, is that kind of opportunity creates creates it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I uh, actually sounds quite exceptional. I, I I don't think that that's part you know standard procedure to be able to have that type of shutfus with someone who allows you to engage in your avodas hakodesh while also being an equal partner in, in in whatever the business endeavors were. Right, that's I had really two, two partners and wow. and both of them were incredibly uh, generous when it comes to to that. I, I did my part. I was at Tzayat Shmaya to do certain things that that they couldn't do, and mm-hmm. and that. And Baruch Hashem, it worked. Wow. And uh, so, at what point here you're juggling your 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 
learning and your growing and your business. At what point did you get involved in the Rabonis? So it's something that I always, you know, really wanted to do. Um, uh, the many of my chaverim, you know, became rebbeim, uh, uh, principals or rebbeim in, in elementary school or, or high schools. Um, the, the classroom setting was not for me. Uh, I knew that it would be something I could never do. Mm-hmm. Um, I love people. I'm good with people, um, and uh, I care about people, and uh, I like to help people. And I felt that that would be something that I want to do. Now, again, in Rabbanis, it's hard. You, people, many very mind, went out of town to the smallest little communities to, to start. That's how you start. I, I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. The fact that I had a little bit of independence because I had uh, Panasa from a different source, um, I felt that you know I had flexibility to do what I want to do. Right. So I stayed in Queens. At my first, my first Stella was in Hillcrest, where I actually with a group of small group of Balabak, I opened up my own shul, and. I was able to maintain it myself and maintain myself. I didn't have to worry that, you know, how am I going to put food on the table if I had And I used to tell Akash I'm doing for you, you do for me. You know, you're, you're, you take care of me and I'm going to take care of your children. And it gave me a chance to do, to really work hard and, and develop new programs and new activities without having to worry about, you know, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to pay for the food dish hours? Right. And that gave me a, a, a really a sense of freedom. I felt um, I was at, at an age, uh, I was in the mid-40s, and I said that they were, I felt that I couldn't accomplish anything more there. Mm-hmm. I felt the community was at hit its peak, and it was time to, you know, I want to do more. I want to accomplish more. And uh, I relocated to the five towns. And again, there, a small group of people, but it was my own. I said, I'm, I'm, I want to do my own thing. And I started at my own shul. Um, That's Chavot Chaim Torah Center? Chavot Chaim Torah Center. And... Um, the one I had in Hillcrest, I named it Ramosha, which I was very close to Ramosha. Ramosha was just Nifter a year or two before, so I named it Ramosha. It's still called Ramosha Torah Institute. It's still the name of Ramosha. And uh, when I moved to here, five towns I called it Chavetz Chaim Torah Center, and uh, they were really you know, almost 25 years. Wow! And uh, some retired. I brought my son Lori in to do the heavy lifting now, and. Uh, I was able to, to branch out and do other things as well. And uh, so the, actually, this is interesting. This book, I, I published a sefer uh, 35 years ago called the Shalat Shuz Chachamim, where it was a collection of, at um, a thousand um, psakim, both halakas and hashkafas that I, that I heard personally from the Gadolim that I interacted with. And uh, it sold out like within two weeks it was gone. Um, and I didn't let the person reprint it, or publish it, because I wanted to, I got a lot of comments, a lot of letters, I wanted to redo it. Mm-hmm. But life got very busy, mm-hmm. uh, family and obligations upon us in the shul, and just never had a chance to sit down. Finally now, post-COVID, I said, I'm going to do it. And Hot uh, School Bershem is going to be publishing a much larger uh, version with uh, over 2,000 Shilas. In addition to your new book, the new book, this is right, a separate volume. Separate book that will come out of in, in, Hebrew, in, Hebrew, in, Hebrew, in Hebrew. And uh, will be coming out by Hashem Hanukkah time. And wow. uh, it's a, it's that's a great very project. exciting. Very excited about this because this is something that's going to, 
it's going to really, uh, I really believe it's going to take the, the yeshiva world by storm because people are going to see things that they've never heard before, things that Shiloh's that, that I asked and some others asked that that are not printed, that are not published. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's, 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 everyone I speak to about it is very excited oh. about it. I'm looking forward to it, you know. But, but this particular book is, is, is a different nature. And as I started saying before, you know, I started writing articles. It was, it was never about writing an articles. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't on the payroll of Mishpach or Yated or, or the other um, uh, publications. It was, it was just when something hit me, something moved me, and that's something I wanted to share, um, I'd write it. And I wrote it from mm-hmm. the heart. I would write from the heart. And um, I wrote a lot in the Five Towns newspaper, and in Yated, and then Mishpach became a very big uh, vehicle for me. Sure. And, where, and then when, like, something would happen. Uh, I still remember that I was. I got a call from uh, at time uh, Shirley Bassu, who was that time the one of the head editors of Mishpacha, called me up. He said they had a terrible, terrible tragedy of the three three Shiva Bakram, the young Bakram that were kidnapped and and Achamansan killed. They were missing for two three days, and it, it, the whole Eretz Israel was was just. Uh, and they said they just someone has to write something to Machazek, and they turned to me to, to do it, and uh, it was a challenge. I took it as a challenge. And and I sat down and said, okay, what would I want? What would I want? What would I want to hear Chizuk? What would I want? Mm-hmm. And and there's not a lot, not a lot out there. And and I really sat down. And I wrote from the heart, and um, it had tremendous tremendous uh, results. People called me that they you know it, it talked to them and it, it helped them get through this. Um, one of the relatives of one of the boys called me up that they read it. Really? And they, wow. they were um, they read it and they were so you know. Touched them and they, they brought it to the shiva house. They brought it to the family to, to wow. read. So it, it's a, you know it, I saw that there's something that's needed to avoid. And then really what happened was that you know, Kashbrohu uh, you know sent my family a lot of challenges. And uh, it, I was going to say the, the you know a perfect segue among the many things you you've been through in your life. Probably two of the most seminal moments. One was the tragic tear of your daughter, yes. which, as hard as it was for you and your Rebetzin, you took that challenge with tremendous fortitude and, and emuna and strength and turned it into something positive, which I want you to talk about, because I myself am so inspired. I know you're reaching a big milestone with that shortly. And the other seminal moment was really not that long ago, was during COVID when you yourself faced a, a, a really a life and death challenge with your own health and uh, Famously added a name, uh, Reb Chaim Kanievsky uh, gave you that name, Chaim. Um, so t- talk about both of those, which really, <laughs> at a you know, you're moving through life, you're doing your thing, and then life throws you curveballs. Right. And how you dealt with those? So I would tell you, it's um, you know, I always thought that uh, you know, when I, growing up, I had my Rebbe Moshev of Hanach Leibowitz, and whenever there were difficulties, you know, I always would go to him and always knew how to machazik me, and um, and he was no longer, and uh, my father was no longer, and um, you know, my daughter was a, a miracle baby, and she was just uh, the life of our, of our family. She was uh, the life of a friend. She was such a lot What do you mean wire. by miracle baby? She, when she was born, um, she had something that, um, that affected her, her liver, which um, is something that's not really noticed um, until babies and people just, children after 
two, three months, they just don't wake up. And it was just, it was all, because it was in a certain hospital, and there's a certain doctor that had a certain experience, and he thought maybe it would be this thing, a rare thing, and, and he was right, and, and we found the specialist. And, and my daughter, Sarah, Allah Shalom was her name, she, she was the, uh, at the time, the youngest um, liver transplant uh, patient in, uh, in America. She was, uh, she was two weeks old. Wow. 12 days old, and she had a liver transplant. And, you know, they told us at the time that, you know, it, it'll, she'll be in the hospital for the first year of her life, she'll be in the hospital. She was 30 days old, and we took her home. And she had an incredible childhood, an incredible, she was a, she was a pipe piper of her friends. She was, my house became like, a, she was the youngest. Of my, uh, my, my boys were in yeshiva, and she was the youngest, so she had the free run of the house. And, Every Shabbos was another Shabbaton of her friends and uh, camp friends and school friends. And she was just an incredible child and uh, gave us a lot, a lot of joy and, 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 and I'm so proud of her. Um, she had challenges. She took, she had to take medicine every day, anti-rejection medicine. And she, uh, two or three times she had to be going to a hospital and miss the friend's party because she had to be, you know, to, to watch her. But um, this wasn't expected. And... Um, a few months before she was she was she was nifteris when she was a little bit uh, right after her seventeenth birthday, so about six seven months before things started unraveling, and um, you know we didn't expect it to happen. We thought that she'll come through, but Kodesh Baruch Hu, this is uh, what he dealt with, and we we're you know we would do it all over again. We had an incredible discourse of having her as a child, and she was uh, my whole family feels that way. My her siblings feel that way. But I remember after, uh, and it was also, it was interesting when she it was in the terrace. It was a very challenging time for our family because my son was getting married. Uh, we, uh, David Paskin, that, um, of course, when she was going to bring it to Eric David Feinstein. Right, going to bring it that she was going to be buried in Harazesim. I had bought a plot in Harazesim. But if I would have gone to, with her, and come back right after the Kfura and Kasichavit, my, my family, I would have come back on a Wednesday morning, and my son was getting married Wednesday night. Oh, my. So both Rabbi Chaim, Kanievsky, and Rudolf Einstein said, we cannot postpone. I wanted to postpone the wedding a little bit. They both said, you can't postpone the wedding. Um, but how can I come back in the morning? And he says, you're not going to go. You won't go. You sent. Uh, so my son-in-law, who lives in the show, had come ready for the wedding, had come to join us you know, for the wedding. Um, and my brother-in-law, both of them flew back with, with the Aaron and, uh, and came back uh, two, two days later. But um, so I got up from Shiva a day before. So that was challenging, but like I said, you could do anything, anything that goes, you know, Kosh Baruch Hu knows and Sionos knows who to give it to. And we went to that wedding, like, like we're marrying of our child, with great simcha, you know, understanding that what, what we dealt with. And, um, and then we went after Sheva Brachas. My wife and I flew there to Israel and went to the Kever. And then I told my wife, we're going to get Chizuk from somebody. We needed Chizuk. So we went to everybody. Went to all the Gedolim. The Litvish Gedolim, the Rosh Hashivas, the Mukabalim, the Hasidish Gedolim. We went, we literally went from person to person. And they did their best. And... Um, I think around Leib Steinman told me the most important thing. He told me, like, he remember sitting, I need chizuk, and he knew me, I had gone to many times, and he said, Kenished, I can't. I was like, I said, if you can't, who's can? You're 100 years old, who's going to give chizuk if you can't? 
So remember, he tapped me on my heart, and he says, you give yourself chizuk. You'll find something, I'll give you chizuk. And um, he was right. I, I found something that, that talked to me, and uh, the sefer that just happened to have picked up, and I had written about it, so it's, I think everyone knows about it, but I've spoken about it also. But just, I guess, say it all quickly. But it was, uh, I, I, was I was saying Kaddish for my daughter, and... Um, was in Israel a week later, and I went to a place that Mincha, and it was waiting, to, and it was waiting for Mincha to start, and it was too sfarm on the table. It was a normally melech, which I never saw before. I'm not, I never looked inside. I'm not a kasidish background, and it was a racial kachma, which is um, a kabbalah they could say also. I don't, but I happened to pick it up and I opened it up, and it was pashit Sava, and it said something incredible. It said there that it quoted the Zohar that every kli in the Mishkan is connected to Eivah and the the Aron, which was the center of the Mesa Mikdash, everything revolves around the Aron, is connected to the heart of a person. Everything revolves around the heart. Aron's connected to the heart. And I saw that, I just said, wow. Like it just, like something came up in my head, a light bulb went on my head. I said, you know, they all asked the question, like, you know, that, that um, when, when the, the, in the Aron, what was in the Aron? The Gemara says in the Mesecha Shabbos, the Luchos and the Shivri Luchos. And the question begs, why the Shivri Luchos? I'm not sure I asked the question. He asked the question. Shivri Luchos is broke. The Osios went up to Shemayim. It was just stone. Like, mm-hmm. Why should that go? We had the real Luchos in there. Why did you need the pieces of it? So there are many answers to this question. I thought, based on what I saw, maybe that's the answer. Because wanted for Dori Doris to know that the, the, the Aron had room for Shivri Luchos and Luchos. The Lev Shaladam has room for Shivri Luchos and Luchos together. Mm. Both, both have to be there. Mm-hmm. Both have room to side. For a person to live his life with simchas and nachas and accomplishments, at the same time, you can have the Shivri Luchos. You can have pain and loss, and side by side, you could go on. Wow. I said, talk to me. I mean, I told Rav Steinman, I later the Vardis, I love the Vardis. You like the Vardis. Love the Vardis. So the, but it talked to me. And so, but it was something personal. I told my wife, and, and then, it was, came back, it was three months later, it was a terrible tragedy. Uh, a a, a call-out of girl, of five, five older Hasidic girls, girls in their 20s, who were teachers, who were in the summer vacation, who were traveling a few weeks going on the West Coast. And they were, it was a Friday, they were in the Grand Canyon, they were going to go to L.A. for Shabbos. And they got to a crossroad and whatever happened, terrible tragedy, a truck hit them. And it was a, Three, three girls in Abba lost their lives, and one was hurt terribly, and one walked out okay. Um, so the family, I'm close to one of the relatives of one of the girls that passed away. It was Nifteris. And he calls me up. He says, maybe you can help me. It was a few weeks later. His, this girl's niece was getting married, the, the, the oldest grandchild of, of her parents. She was the youngest in her family. And the mother... The grandmother of the Kala, which is the mother of this girl, I'm not going to the wedding. I can't go. I just can't go. To, how can I go to a wedding? I'm mourning for my daughter. She just, and the whole family was at an opera. How could she not go? And they tried. Nobody. The Kala came, cried to her grandmother. Nothing helped. Is there anything you could do? I said, well, what can I do with the Hasidic show later? What can I, I got in a car. I drove. I went to her house and knocked on the door. And I shared this thing with her. I said, there's room for you to dance with your granddaughter. At the same time, the Shiri Lukos of your daughter in your heart. I wished a monster when I walked out and I left. I didn't know. I didn't know if I accomplished anything. Mm-hmm. Two days later, I get, at night, I'm sitting in, in shul and I get sort of a phone call and I get a video of the grandmother, of this dancing with her granddaughter. Baruch Hasana. Baruch Hasana. So, 
It means to talk to her also. So I wrote this up. And I wrote an article in Mishpacha magazine. And I get from all over people telling me how much, like it just got them through some difficult times. So that was why. So I'd write. And, you know, I'd write. I kept writing. I felt he's like something. I felt and I didn't write because I have a deadline. I can't write because I have to write every week. I don't know how you do it. it sounds, <laughs> I don't know how you do it. <laughs> the pressure is immense. I write when something hits me. I feel right, it's a message. Maybe that's why it's connecting with people because whenever you write when you're ready to write, not because you right. have to write. 100%. Right? That's 100%. A big, big so, difference. Exactly. When something, ready, when something hits me, a message, or for Chizuk, that's when I write. So, interesting, what happened was that, um, so, Mayor's Lada was a Colonel of Raka, who I love dearly. So, he, he loved my articles, and every time he would see me, I love it. I cut it out, I have it on my desk, and I, I show it to someone. You've got to put it in a book. It never had intention of putting a book. I wrote it's an article. An article is not a book. An article right. is something. And he would, a number of times he said it to me, and I just uh, it didn't didn't take him seriously. Now, he passed away. Your brother came up Gedalia, who I loved dearly. Uh, you always every time you have to, and he would read something. It was fantastic. You have to do it. And every time he saw me, he would push me. Still, just wasn't something that on my wasn't on my a lot of my plate, not yeah. on my plate. Um, it wasn't on my bucket list of things to do. And then I got sick. COVID came, and I got very, very sick. And uh, to the extent was where it was ever Pesach that year, the 2020, where my wife got a call to come down to the hospital that I had three to five hours left. And, and she came sick goodbye to me. And Kosh uh, Baruch not for any of my schusim, but the feelings of Kalei Yisrael and my family, so uh, the, uh, I, I was zoked to a tremendous, Nezgoli, a Nezgoli. Doc said, there's no, there's no chance. They wanted to plug out the machines and this and that, and then when we put pressure, we got someone to put pressure on the hospital not to plug out the machines. But the head doctor on my case told Baruch Bender that who was involved with my case, he said to him, okay, I, I, my hands are tied, I can't, I want to, I told, they told my family, we need the machine for someone who has a chance to live. Your husband, he told my wife, your husband has no chance to live. Yeah. But... He said to him, okay, so I can't unplug the machine, but it's not going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, you know. So it did, I guess. They wished it slightly differently. So um, when I came home and I was convalescing at home for a while, um, therapy and getting back to myself, I got a lot of emails from people, texts, emails, WhatsApps, and people tell me how they dominate their hearts out for me. Why? Because you wrote an article two years ago, it changed my life. You wrote an article, it said I had lost my child. You wrote something, I, got to, I, could, I, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. But you wrote this, it changed me. When I heard you were sick, I died my heart out for you. Another person who lost his panasa. He had no panasa, no support. He was, he was literally, told me he was thinking of ending his life. And I had written something about Pitakon and Muna, something that was challenging. He says, it, it, you know, nothing, where I spoke to didn't help. That somehow would talk to me. I said, I dive in my heart out for you. I owe you my life. When I started seeing that, I said, if, it, if certain people got chizik from it, then maybe someone else can get chizik from it. So next time Gadai, you know, spoke to me about it, I said, Gadai, we have to talk. And I said, you know, how, do, how would you do it? How do you do it? An article is not for... Um, it's different than a, a book. Yeah. An example. I think... The article that Hashbaruch gave me the most, uh, uh, the, the, the greatest ability 
with ideas in my head and my heart to write was after the Mayron tragedy. After Mayron tragedy, the whole class was reeling, but just reeling from it. And, and Mishbuckle called me up and, and five times paid. What, just, what do you tell people? I don't know. Like, how could you? Like, it was just, you just sat there. With, my pen was frozen. I, like, how do you write something like this? But it, I worked on it. And, and I listened. I davened. And, and I just put the ideas in my head. And it came out. And it was, it was, it was I mean, people just forever just stopped me in the street. I said, it just, it, it gave them ability to get through this. So, you know, but, but like, it was an article for Timely. A book is something that in a year, in two years, in five years from now, ten years, someone picks up the book. Exactly. What, what happened to May Rowan? Like, it, unfortunately, we're some, you know, you move on. Mm -hmm. So, to re, reconfigure an article of Chizuk to a, something that's good for a book is beyond my ability. Because when you write something, it's very hard for you to take out words and change words. I told Gadai, it's, it's a problem. So he said, I know the right There's one person that, that's great. There's a woman there to Shirel. Gifted, she's the one for this. Maki Heimowitz. Well, I'd heard, I've seen some of her stuff. I never met her. So I said, let's let's try. So um, I took my collect. I have over 350 articles that I had written over the last decades. Um, many of them are not appropriate. Many of them are spade them for. I wrote Gedolim of Shach and Rabbi Yashav and Rishaimberg and people and my Rebbe and my father. These are not for you know. And then the other things I wrote about current events type of issues. But so I took out from the old, what's called the Chizuk articles. And that was about 140, 150. Then I had to cut that down. I cut sure. it down to about 75. Of the 75, I picked out like five things and I sent it to her. This is what I wrote. And let's see what you could do. And a few days later, I got it back. And it was incredible. Like, like she just realigned a few words, a she's, few sentences. She's a magician with, with, with writing. Writing. And there's sometimes she said, I, can't, I want you, this is what I think needs to be done, but you need to do it because it needs to be your words. So, but I had a direction of like how to, and I, and I did it, and I put the words in. And, and when I saw the fire, I said, you know what? This could work. Mm -hmm. So I sent her, I think it was 75 articles of what I felt the ones of the most key. So, and then I went to Rachel for Shavuos, and I met with her there. We discussed the project back and forth, and and I felt this is a shit. This is this is good. This could wow. work. And um, I said, let's go. Let's go ahead. And we we're on the phone. We got together. We decided we're going to move ahead on this. And she cut it down from seventy five because we said it was too much. It cut to about sixty five articles. And each article has a message of chizuk, even though it may have been for a particular event, but it it reconfigured to anything that, right, that right. that's going on. And um, including some of the articles personally of things that, that I went through um, that other people can get music from. And uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. I'm listening to you talk about writing articles and getting feedback. I'm just speaking from, uh, from, from the writer's perspective. A writer really writes in a vacuum. You sit in your house by, by, a, by a keyboard and you pour your heart into an article, not knowing the reaction. It's different than public speaking. Public speaking, even though you prepare what you're going to say, but as you speak, you gauge the audience. Sure. You get right. There's facial expressions. You could see how you're you're connecting to your audience in real time. Right. A writer is, is really on their own island. They're writing, knowing little of how people are going to react. Right. Um, and very often you can write an article and, and hear nothing from people. Sometimes. Right. Um, it sounds like you've been blessed uniquely. 
that you really do hear, and, and I guess this is an affirmation of the effectiveness of your writing, connecting to people, that you hear so much feedback to the articles you write. Obviously, you're connecting. That message is resonating right. with people, but that's a real blessing for a writer to be able to, to hear from people. I want to give um, like one example how it showed, like what you're saying. Um, I wrote an article. So sometimes you hear something, and you like, wow, this is this. I got to this got to go out. People got to hear this. So an example is because you know, years ago, um, it was a woman who um, her name is mentioned in the book. I don't mention it now, but um, a woman had passed away. She had a family of six children. She was, I think, it was in her fifties. A young woman, unfortunately, got sick. Um, my connection to I really didn't know her at all. My connection to the family was that their oldest daughter and my oldest daughter were um, seminary roommates together and seminary became very close friends and we met at the airport saying goodbye to our kids, you know, and, and it interacted that way and it didn't have any personal connection. So um, when we heard she passed away, my daughter, and I just wrote, was in her showtime, said, oh, but you have to go, you have to go. Okay, if you feel that you go, I'm going to go. So I went to, um, I went to the house in Brooklyn and when I come in, so her husband was sitting shiver and um, there was, you know, five rabbanim were there. Five very prominent rabbanim and flappers were there. I happened to be at the time when I came. I came in. They sat me, made a seat for me. I sat down, and he says, you know, he said to me, he says, you really didn't know my wife, really." You know, he said, "I should not met her once. That's why I really didn't know her." Mm-hmm. So he said to me, "I want to tell you, she was a very simple woman, very simple woman." And then he says, "I just want to tell you like a story. My wife said something. She said, our youngest child was just by mitzvah, and." She kept it from her children. She didn't want anybody to know how sick she was. It was for a few years. She kept it from everybody. That was her anhaga, and that's what you know. Chaim Kanevsky approved that it would be. That's what you want. It's fine. So, it was literally two or three weeks before she passed away. She called in her son, which is by mitzvah, and she says, "I want to tell you, I'm not well. I'm very sick. I don't have much more time." And the son, like of course, any someone here to imagine, he said to me, "Like, like, mommy, why you?" Why you? Why are you, Hashem? Why are you? Question that everyone, every child would ask. And every person asks that question when something happens. So she looked at the child in the eye and she said, you know, why? I want you to know, when I first got the diagnosis a few years ago, that was my question, why me? And then I started thinking. And I said, I was the first one of my whole class to get engaged. They didn't ask Hashem, why me? Right. First one to get married, they didn't ask, why me? I was the first one of all my friends to have a child. I had six healthy children. Never asked, why me? Mm-hmm. When I held my first grandchild in my arm, I didn't ask Hashem, why me? So I'm not going to start now asking, why me? But she just shared something his wife said. I looked yeah. around the room, and I'm like, okay. I said, I said, that was the most profound thing I ever heard in my life. Mm. A simple woman. She was a giant. I went home, I sat down, and still old school, I didn't use computer, I still do a pen and paper, sat down and I wrote an article, Why Me? And I wrote this whole thing up. And I added a few stories, a gadolim, whatever. And then I called up the daughter, who I knew, and I said, listen, I wrote an article. I don't need to put a name in it. But it's much more real if I would use the name of the person. But I don't want to do anything, she's still elderly parents. Mm-hmm. If your, any of the children, or your father, or your grandparents, anybody, any hakpada, of course I won't use it. But I want you to see it. I sent it to her. I emailed it to her. 
Um, she called me back a few days later. The whole family saw it, and like, they feel it would be such a schuss for their mothers and shama, her mothers and shama. She wouldn't love me. Use it as is. And I put it in mishpacha. I wrote it in mishpacha. Um, so two things came out of that. First of all, a few months later, I get a call from a woman, from Mansi, a Swedish woman who I don't know. I just want to tell you, I want to thank you. You gave me back my sister. What? How did I give you back your sister? But it tells me that it's only her parents died young. It's only her and her sister. They just kind of raised each other. They're two years apart. She's older. And my sister lives a block away from me. And we, our lives are together. We're like one. My sister, unfortunately, lost my niece four years ago. A broker. She had other children. It just broke her. She has not left her house since that time. Her kids are growing up with, with just a father without a mother. She can't be a mother. She can't be a wife. She can't be a sister. I, we tried everything. My bunham went to her. Doctors. I just can't get her. We can't get her out. I'm making a wedding, my first child. And I went to my sister. You're my only blood relative. So I can't come. I'm not coming. I'm going to a wedding of my, my own child when my own sister can't come. I, I, just, my whole Simca is different. I read your article. I took the article and I went over to my sister's house. I walked in and she was in, sitting in her bedroom. I put it down on a night table and I said, I want you to read something. And I left. It was assumed it would go the same way as all the other things that we tried. A few hours later, my bell rings. I open my door. My sister's there. She's come. Let's go. I need a dress. I need a dress for the wedding. Let's go shopping. My daughter got married last night, and my sister sat next to me because I have no mother. My sister sat next to me at the at the Kabbalah's panna. He wow. says, "I need to thank you." I had no words, but it, was, wow. it wasn't like pat on the back. It was like, "Kashbaruchu." I heard it. I saw it. I felt it. This would be kichizik. One, look what it look did to one person. Look at the person. power of your pen. You look how you mechazik people. And one of the rabbanim who was at that room, I saw it a chasen a few months later. So he came over to me at Ginsburg. I want you to know. I feel like, like, like I feel like, like nothing. I said, "What do you mean?" I was in that room when the husband told us all the story. He went in one in uh, a nice story, yeah. and look what you did with it. Wow! Look what you did with it. I have to listen much more carefully. He said to me, "Rav is older than me. I, I have such incredible love for him." But that was it. Then the final thing on this this particular article it was a few years later. Mr. Shpacha had their tenth year anniversary, and they put out a thing for um, what article people felt. I remember they did like a retrospective. Retrospective. Right, right, right. So I get a call from someone from Mishpacha that they got back, I think it was 6,000 responses to the, to the, what do you call it? Over 90% of the responders, 90% picked this article. Really? Wow. What article? Hmm. So... You know, it, it's when I hear that it, again. It's not. It's not two and a whole while. Look, what not, it was the fact that when you, if there's something that you can do to give a yid chizuk. So talking about giving yid and chizuk uh, before we run out of time. Yeah. I I want to I want you to talk about Oal Sarla, which is the organization that you spearheaded, Lili Nishmas, your beloved daughter. Right. And it's an organization talking about giving chizuk. That's giving chizuk in in a uniquely powerful way um, 
for those who never heard of it, probably not many people, but for those who never heard of it, tell us just what, what it is and, and the milestone that we were talking about before uh, that you're about to reach. So Old Sarla is a, an organization that was founded by um, Rabbi and Rabbi Tzin Shlomo Bachner from Boniola, uh, famous, uh, famous uh, leaders in Kalei Yisrael. Two, and two of the most special people in Kalei Yisrael. No sure. question about it. And the third one in that group is also is, is my Rabbi Tzin, my wife, uh, Gail Ginsburg, who is basically uh, has taken Old Sarla and has a life's mission and works on it day and night. Um, and together with the entire staff of Al Saral and Boniolim has inc- reached incredible. Uh, uh, just end with, and first, the milestone is my wife told me that by Rosh Hashanah time, we're going to ha- we're going to hit five thousand engagement marriages in about six and a half seven years that we started this thing, which is besides about a thousand babies born, it's something beyond Lamaila Minateva. and it's not surprising because the idea came from Baron Leib Steinman. Now, where did this come from? How did this happen? So. It was a few years ago, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a, a family in, in, in my neighborhood in the five towns, um, in Almana that has um, some, older, some older single girls. And, um, you know, they call me for Shilas, they always consult me. And I know that when they call me, everything stops. They, I answer the call and I'm available for them. They know, my wife knows no matter what I'm doing. So it was in the summertime, and it was the summer after Sarah Lai passed away, a few months later. And uh, we kept saying we want to do something special for and, and I, I've been in Rabbanus for many years. I've dealt with many families that lost that tragedy. I always want to do something right away. And I see that they jump on ideas, and by Shloshim it's and over. It peters out. Peters out because it's not sustainable. It has to be something creative, something Kleisrael needs. I always tell people, don't, there's no right. I tell my wife, we'll do something, we'll find something. Hashem will send us something that will make a difference. Let's, we're not rushing. So it was, we have a place upstate New York, and my wife went to go up to the country Thursday night, and I get a call from one of the daughters of this, uh, an older girl, she was in the high 30s, um, she wants to, she needs to come talk to me about something very important. I said, wait, they didn't know it's something, like right now she wants to come talk to me. I told my wife, I'm sorry, stop packing, we're, we're not going tonight, I gotta deal with this. And she came over. She came over with another girl, another friend, and she had the following question. She said that, they have an older sister, and there's a group of girls, over 20 of them, that are above the age of 35, 36 years old. And obviously struggling with, with the great, terrible challenge. But in order to be able to mechazik each other and to live a life of fulfillment, they get together every Shabbos Mavarchim. They have a Shabbaton, usually at their house. And the girls come and they bring, and they sit to Torah, they sing mirrors together. They have a great time. It gives, each, they, it gives them chizik for them. So that particular Shabbos, before there was a Friday night, they were there, and they had only Shabbos. And one of the girls had mentioned that, based on consult, consultation with her Rav, she, she knows she's getting married, she knows she's going to find someone, but she understands she's getting older, so she froze her eggs. And that's something that she felt that, you know, the Rav says she should do. So she, they all started discussing it. Should we do it? Should we not? Well, something we should do. So they said, we're going to go ask Rabbi Ginsburg. And whatever Rabbi Ginsburg says, that's what we'll do. So I'm asking you on behalf of the whole group. I said, whoa, <laughs> above my pay grade, very difficult question. And I said, I really don't want to answer this, Shaila. What I want to do is go to Rodolfo Feinstein. I will go to him Sunday personally. I'm not going to do it on the phone. This is, I'm going to go directly. Whatever he tells me, I'll share with you. So fine. That was it. So they left, and we went up to the country. 
that Shabbos is, uh, you know, we're taking a walk after lunch and in the area where I am, which I never do before, but that Shabbos I happen to have done it. And we bump into neighbors of ours, Rabbi Shlomo Bakhmut, taking a walk as well. Someone who I knew and from the neighbors, but I never had an interaction with him. And I said, Shlomo, i got to tell you something. You're not going to believe it. Someone asked me a question, because this is his line of work, and well, it's going to shock you. Mm-hmm. I told him, is it shocking? What do you mean shocking? I do this all the time. We do this, do this for thousands of girls, unfortunately. A tremendous amount. I'll take care of it. Just give my number. I'll take care of it. I was like, take it back myself. I told him, it such pains me. To, I'm so pained by this. This cry. I was up a whole night. So he says, I want to tell you, I just came from Eric Row, And Aaron Leibstein told me something incredible. I want you to share it with me. A passing conversation. He says, I worked in this Rabbi Leibstein. And Rabbi Leibstein, he was very close to him. He helped his Leibstein's family, some of his own children. So he says, he says, hey, Rabbi Shlem, he says, Svei zachen lezmin and two things won't let me sleep. So two things? All of Kleisrael is on your head. What, two things? Two things. So many couples take having difficulty, fertility issues, have difficulty having children, and so many older singles. He says, things don't let me sleep. He was quiet for a few minutes, and he says, um emes, They really, one could solve the other one. They both could solve each other's problems. Wow, like a, so he taught, he taught us how to read a Chumash. He says, Sarah said to Avram, marry Hagar, I'm going to build. What do you mean you'll build? Avram is going to build. Mm-hmm. What is it with you? No, I'm going to help Avram have a child with Hagar, so then I'm going to be Zoka to have a child as well. Person Mazaka, someone else, you'll you'll have mm-hmm. a child. You'll even have it first. So, if the singles would help, would daven for them, support, and help the couples have children, then they, in turn, mm-hmm. will have children, and they can't have children. Not getting married, so therefore they'll get married. Mm-hmm. Just like that. And he said it to me. That was what Shlomo said. Nice thought, and I walked. Through. It just resonated in my neshama. The whole afternoon, I just was pacing back and forth. I said, what an incredible mashallah. I got it. This is what I'm going to do. I called the Shalom back there. I had to shop. I said, where are you? I just made Abdullah. Come over right now to my unit. Right now. Came over. We sat down. We're going to do something together. We're going to start something. I'm going to call old Sarala. Boating home is going to get involved. We're going to start the process of diving for each other. Mm-hmm. Diving for each other. And, and, and help support. It gives some stuck of money towards the couples. The treatments are so fortunate money. And we started an idea how to do it. Names only, no last names only, Hebrew names and mother's name. Mm-hmm. Couple will dive in for them, they'll dive in for the couple. Let's start this. And again, the power of an article. So we started, we put together an idea how we're going to do it. And I said, what do we do with Sarah? I said, if we can be to have one or two children born from this. Our daughter was 17, Hashem took her back. She was never Zoka to have her own children, her own family. Any child that comes from this thing that we're doing will be considered her children, her legacy. This will be her, her generations. Wow. And if we want it to, it's worth the whole thing. Let's go for it. So how are we going to kick it off? Two weeks later, I wrote Mishpach an article. Called the, uh, and I called it, the, um, I called it the, the Hidden World of Shaduchim. That was the title of the article. I introduced this concept. There's a nice readership. The word got out. People started responding. People started calling. Put a website, and it goes respond to a web to an email address, and one, and then two, and then three, and then four, uh-huh. and then it started engagement. One engagement, one baby born, another one, another one. We just have now, just today, I showed me an email 
of a girl who was 33 years old. And uh, down for a couple, and nothing happening, nothing happening. She gets uh, a phone call that uh, she gets an email from Bolaam that her couple had a child that she davened for. That afternoon, Shatan called, I have an idea for you. I thought about it a long time ago, never happened. I mentioned the name to you. That was her cousin. That's who she got mm -hmm. engaged to. And we have this happening every all single day, all the time. The connections on the Aaron Liebstein and said, and I said, you know, I, was, I gave many a statement for Aaron Liebstein and in, in Queens, in Lakewood, and other places. I said, I have no ability to speak about who he was, what he was. All I can say is one thing, one little idea that he shared, mm -hmm. an idea that was in his head, he shared with someone that took three minutes, look what came out of one little idea. Imagine this but again, I think, uh, you know, commenting on what you said before, you could hear an idea and let it go in one ear and out the other, but you and Rupshlamia together, you took this initiative with your Rebetzins and you, you made an idea into reality and it's resulted in chizik for thousands and thousands of people. Um, just not only the Yeshuas that they see, but the day-to-day -day chizik that they know that they're partners with someone else who's dominating for them. And it's just, an, just an uplifting, the whole concept is so uplifting and really changing lives one single at a time, one baby at a time, one couple at a time. And um, as we wrap up, I, you know, I think this book is going to do the same thing. Because the stories, goal. the chizik, it, it, you have this ability to relate to people on their level, on a very human level. Sometimes as writers and speakers, people either speak over their audience or they speak under their audience where they're, they're not really you know, reaching them. And you, you seem to have found that, that happy medium where you're, you're really talking to them on their level. Um, any final thoughts you know, about, really, about what you want people to take away from the book and you know, a final message? The, somebody asked me, um, when I heard about the book coming out, says me, says, oh, what's your goal with the book? Like, how many do you want to sell? Like, what do you, what do you want to be? You want to make the you know, New York Times bestseller? Best I don't know, they still have New York Times bestseller? <laughs> I don't even know. But uh, I said, not at all. I have only one goal in mind. The book is called Rays of Hope, Offering to Rechizuk. If, if people got Rechizuk from the articles, my hope and my tefillah to HaKadosh Baruch is that some Jew, some Yid out there, whoever it is, will pick up that book and be in a situation where he or she will need some chizuk, going through a difficult time. And I discuss in the book many different types of, of challenges and pick up and read something that talks to them and they'll walk out mechuzik. It's worth all the effort, all the time and the years of articles and the all worth that if one Jew gets chizik. And I hope that many will get chizik from it. I, I have no doubt. You know, it, it, it's a book about dealing with challenges. But all that means is that it's for everyone. Because there's no person who's, who's immune. Merubim sure. Everyone's going through some kind of challenge, obstacle on some level. As long as we're alive in this world, that means we are dealing with challenges. That's true. And, and that's why this book is really, it's, it's like a, a handbook. You took the magic of your articles, and not only do you get one, but you get a whole collection of them. So it's really a, a, an amazing collection. And uh, Art School is honored to be the conduit to bring that, that collection of chizik to the masses. And uh, my humble bracha, you should continue. Amen. Use your kaychis and your time together with your Ebbetson 
to bring chizik to people both in, 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 in happier times and more challenging times and showing people how to always see the light, the rays of light. Be'ezus Hashem. Amen. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for much. being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me.